I'm Julie Lyles Carr, and this is the All Mom Does Podcast, where each and every week we bring you special guests and episodes that are here to help equip and encourage you in your faith journey, for the kids you're raising, that that romance that you're nurturing, the career that you have, all the things for exactly right where you live. So settle in, crank up that volume, grab a cup of coffee. I'm so glad you're here. Today on the All Mom Does Podcast, I have Michael and Smith with me. I love getting to have her. You may know her best as the Nester. I am so thrilled you're here today. How you doing, friend? Well, I'm doing great. I wish we were together in real life. That would be so much more fun, but I'm so glad to be talking to you. I know. Last time we did this, we got to be together, and I got to see this amazing little tiny house that you were dragging across country and showing all of the ways that you make things comfortable and beautiful and all the things. It was this little living diorama that was making the whole U.S. (laughs) tour. How was that? I know. It was amazing. How was that being on the road with your husband like that? That's pretty phenomenal. It's an introvert's dream to bring home with you. Then yes. I'm like, okay, I can I can leave the house if I get to take a tiny house with me. It was so fun. And now the tiny house is parked like next to our bar and I use it as like a little shop. It's been really fun. So now I get a tiny house. Yay. I know. You turned me down on my offer. I said, listen, girl. <laughs> Give the mama of eight a break. Come park that in my backyard here in Austin. But no, you took it back to North Carolina. It's okay. I forgive you. It's all good. (laughs) Well, I know that most of my listeners are going to know exactly who you are. But for those who don't, talk to them about where you live, why you're called the nester, all the things. Oh, well, I will. My name is Mike Willen Smith. I have a Q in my name. And when I started online, started a blog 13 years ago, I was terrified to put anything online, much less my very unique name, where I thought, well, a killer could Google it and come kill me in an instant. Uh, Of course, come to find out, I don't think the killers are really hanging out on Instagram. It's all fun moms like us or on uh, on the internet in general. Uh, And also, though, just having a strange name, like no one can really spell it. No one can pronounce it when they look at it. So it just made things weird. So I use the nester. So that's why I use the nester a lot. My first business was called Nesting Plays, and it just kind of made sense. So it's stuck, and now I can't shake it. But um, my goal is to help women create the home they've always wanted so that they can use it the way they've always dreamed. I do that. Uh, by having classes. I have a community. I love chit-chatting on Instagram and showing the good, bad, and the ugly and little tips and tricks. Uh, I have a festival at my house every year where we have vendors and food trucks and music. Uh, I have little small events with 20 women and we'll uh, talk about, you know, seasonal things and go shopping together. We just do a little bit of everything. I just want to help women in their house. And if that means I need to get in a plane and skywrite, I'll do that. Like whatever they want. However they want to hear it, I'll try to provide it if I can do a decent job at it. Well, you do an amazing job. And I always walk that line with you, my friend, because (laughs) I just think... Ah, and you're so good about continuing to preach this message of it doesn't have to be perfect and all the things, but I'm equally parts inspired and wildly jealous every time that I see what you put together. And you've got the gift of thrift that blows my mind, kind of like Jen Schmidt has, because I go to thrift stores. I do not find the same kind of things that you guys do. I am always amazed at the things that you show up with for pennies on the dollar that are just incredible. When did that kind of come into play for you? Because, you know, I feel like there were a lot of us that for a long time felt that our homes and the way we were decorating them had to emulate these exact matching furniture sets and had to be this and all the things had to match and everything from the wallpaper to the upholstery, it all had to be, remember the green ivy vine 
phase we all went through for a while. Like it all had to match in that way. How did you start busting out of that and realizing that, hey, I may have a gift here that is a little bit different than some of what the performa, you know, strategy is when it comes to decor. And then you realize it was really resonating. Well, it was 100% out of necessity. I wanted to have a house that I liked. We needed furniture for a house and we didn't have a bunch of money. So to me, it wasn't a gift. It was a curse (laughs) because I had to get creative. Now, looking back, I see it as like, I'm so glad that things happened that way because it taught me a lot and I I learned a lot and I've been able to encourage a lot of people along the way. Um, But at the time, it just felt like the only option. And I've it, it helped me figure out how how to go to a thrift store and find something. And I'll tell you, finding something at a thrift store is directly related to how often you're willing to walk by the same pair of old crutches. Yeah. And so <laughs> the trick to finding things at a thrift store is to be willing to go 99 times and find nothing. And that 100th time, you're going to find a leather sofa for $100. Yeah. And it's that's the only that's the only trick. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter. You know, all I found things in rich parts of towns. I found things in crazy rural parts of town where I live. I found things at higher end thrift stores at lower end consignment shops. It's all about going a certain amount of times and eventually you're going to run into something. I think that's such a great message because for so many of us, you know, that's the way it starts out. Now, we all have that friend who got to build the house she wanted immediately and decorate it the way she wanted to immediately. (laughs) But for most of us, it is this crazy combination of stuff that's left over from college and things that we inherited that we're really not sure how they're ever going to fit and all the things. So I love that encouragement to just keep searching. You've got a new project you've been working on called Welcome Home, A Cozy Minimalist Guide to Decorating and Hosting All Year Round. And, you know, one of the things I find with you, Michael, is that you're always, you're ahead of what seems to become the trend. Maybe you're the, even the trendsetter, I would dare say, because you have been doing this thrifting. As I said, you also began promoting the minimalist message a long time before I was hearing it from other people. And now you're in this place of reminding us that there is a way to decorate and host it all year long that doesn't mean that you have to have Santa Claus stamped toilet paper. So how did you come into this place where, because I got to be honest, girl, if you could see my garage right now, I have all the crates of all the things that are all extremely holiday or event specific. And yet I am recognizing why? (laughs) So so when did it begin to dawn on you that it didn't have to be all the thematic stuff to actually celebrate well and welcome people into your home? Well, I'll tell you, everything that I talk about that I've learned or that I'm trying to teach is because I did it really wrong and couldn't and needed to figure out how to make it better. So with this, it was because I had exactly what you had and it got on my last nerve. I had bins of Christmas decor and I had some fall decor and I even had some spring decor. And finally, uh, one Christmas as I was getting out all of our bin after bin after bin, you know, it's mom's job to lug it all out. And I put it all up and it did not look festive. It just looked tired and exhausting and I knew I was going to have to clean it up in three weeks and pack it all away again and then of course in the bottom of the bins uh, were like half the stuff I didn't even use that year and I hadn't used the year before but I didn't know if I should get rid of it and so decorating for the holidays something that used to bring me such joy became a burden Mm -hmm. and I just thought nope I'm not I'm not doing it that way like I'm not going to let 
Christmas and decorating something that should be enjoyable and usher in festive feelings for me and my family, I'm not going to let it like steal something away from me. So I, that afternoon, after I got everything out of my Christmas stuff, I packed it all back up. I swept up all the greenery <laughs> from the, from the dried <laughs> pretend greenery that, you know, of course leaked everywhere. And I reevaluated, how can I do this in a way that feels life-giving in a way that like the way I decorate my house on a normal basis was so different than how I was approaching it at Christmas. I felt like anyway, like I like natural items. I like uh, fresh, you know, I like to break a tree branch from the tree and bring it in the inside and put it in the vase. And then at Christmas I was bringing in all this fake decor and this heavy layers. And I just thought this doesn't, this isn't cohesive with who I am anymore. How can I rethink this? And so it was born out of frustration and out of thinking, you know, there's nothing wrong if you get so much joy out of getting those bin after bin out, like you should do that. Please do that for your family, do that for you. But if you are wondering if there's another way, if the thought of getting that Christmas stuff out is exhausting you, then I got good news for you. There's another way. Yeah, yeah. Now, dig in for me because, you know, yes, there is the aesthetic of what you do. But there's the psychology of what you do, Michael, and which is really deep for a lot of people. And when a lot of times it comes to holiday decor, it's sort of that same thing that I was just talking about the furniture you've inherited that doesn't really fit your vibe. But you know, it was grandma's whatever, and you feel that honor bound that you've got to use it. I think holiday decor can do the same thing to us because I started something, hey, play with the math with me on this. Years ago, I started collecting ornaments for each of my kids to symbolize something of the year for them. And it started off as a way to buy them a little bit nicer ornament. And then it turned into, okay, now we've bought all those particular glass ornaments that have been available at Target. So now we're just moving on to things that, and listeners forgive me, but more craptastic stuff, you know, like we were going into that lane where we were just grabbing whatever. You do the math with eight kids, you multiply that times, now the twins are 13, 13 years, you can imagine the absolute dumpster fire of a Christmas tree that I have at this point. But my kids, I've sold them on the sentimentality. So here's the psychology question for you, particularly when it comes to seasonal items and to decor items. How do we begin to untangle that which still gives us joy and makes us happy and those things for which we simply feel honor bound or it's just simply a replication of every year? It's not Christmas till we drag out the whatever. How do we help ourselves find some freedom between those two lanes? Well, I think it's different for everyone, but I think being purposeful with what we choose to put in our home, everything in our home has a voice. And the more that we add, the louder our home becomes visually and just like clutter wise. And so I know for me, I am a cozy minimalist. That means I want the most amount of style with the least amount of stuff. Now my threshold for stuff is probably higher than a lot of people and lower than some people. Uh, So that helps me when I know I'm getting my Christmas stuff out. I know that I value for our home and for its purpose, I value simplicity but also coziness. And so if I allow my Christmas decor to take over my house so much that my simplicity factor is lacking or is like, oh my gosh, help, help, then that red flag goes up. And it's my job to pay attention to those red flags. Tradition should not feel like a curse. It should not feel like a burden to one person so that everyone else can have fun or check that off the list. So I think just being willing 
to pay attention and to evaluate. And I know um, I set my intention for the next year. When I am packing away my Christmas decor, that's when I set my intention for Christmas decor next year. So you don't want to think about your what you're going to decorate for Christmas on December 1st. You think about it in like January. So as I'm packing my bins away, I think about did I use everything? Are there things in the bottom of these bins that set in here all Christmas season? And they set in there last year. So I've been storing them for at least two years. And I'm not sure I'm going to use them next year. And if so, just like in the same way that we release clutter in our lives, it's okay to release those items and let them go to another place. And as far as collections go, I think that um, a collection is really personal. And we all... Sometimes a collection can feel like a curse. I know one time someone was like, I'm starting a Santa collection for you. Here's your first one. And I was like, that's the worst thing in my life. Have you met me? Like, first of all, I don't decorate with Santas. Second of all, this looks like a creepy doll. <laughs> that's, I mean, it was so kind of them. But, but I think one, one tip is if you are a lover of a collection, I love that your collection that you're doing is ornaments. Like it's small and your kids, you're, you're a great mom. And so if, if your kids move out and they're like, mom, I'm, I'm not going to use this. You're going to be okay. Like you're not going to guilt them into anything. Absolutely. Um, But I think also if you have like, say there's a village that you're setting up every year. And what happens is everyone sees that you love a village. So everyone gives you village pieces. And before you know it, you need a second house for right. your Christmas village. <laughs> so the best thing to do is to give yourself limits and say, what the limit for this village is the top of the piano. And I get to choose what's going to, my favorite things can go up there. And everyone, everything else gets to go to another village collector, you know, however right. that may be. And you ask if someone wants it or you give it to the Goodwill or whatever. And so I found that I set limits on my Christmas stuff, just like I do my regular decor. Um, but yeah, I do think there's some there's something uh, emotional sometimes that gets tied up with our Christmas stuff. And we're allowed to to think through that and question that. I think that's so helpful because, again, so many of us want to honor what's come before. And if we've had seasons where it has been the endless trips to the thrift store and everything else, when we receive things, I think sometimes we can feel even more honor bound to hang on to them when we know what it's like to have tried to build a decor resource from the ground up. And so that permission is really, really important. Now, at the time that you and I are recording this, you know, we talked about off 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 mic before we started chatting that we really want these episodes to always feel evergreen. And at the same time, we can't ignore the times that we are living in. And one of the things that is fascinating to me right now, because at the time we're recording this, many of us are still in lockdown, we are still dealing with COVID. And there are a lot of places in our country right now that are saying it's going to be that way for quite a while. And we're heading into the fall. Talk to me about how home has come back into central vision again, in a way that's very unique, because one of the things that I love in what you do, Michael, is you have developed such a beautiful community around you. You know the hearts and minds of women for their homes and trying to balance home life and work life and, and kids where you want to have beautiful things set out. And yet at the same time, you know, they're probably going to go running through and bust stuff up. So you really <laughs> have a heartbeat and pulse on women when it comes to home, the psychology of the home, all the things that we feel. Tell me about some things that you've been noticing in this very unique season, things that both you think will only be germane to what we're walking through at the moment and things that you hope will have a lasting legacy on the other side of all this Corona craziness? Well, I, I love that question. And I, 
I like the moment that home is having right now. I like the way that we are needing our home to serve us. I think a lot of times when it comes to home, especially women like us who are like, we, we like a pretty home, but we want to serve people with it. And we want to have people over. It's very easy to think of home in uh, the way of like, well, how can I serve the people that are coming over? How can I host? How can I use it for the community group and for the baby shower and that kind of thing? And that is such a lofty goal. Half my book is about hosting. Like, I want to use my home for hosting, but I love that right now it's almost like we're taking a sabbatical from that and we're letting that field just sit because we need our home for something different right now and we need it for our business. We need it for our, to act as our school. We need it to act as a respite and a place to uh, get away from it all and find real rest and a place for our kids to feel safe. And so I love that home is like back to its roots. I really, really believe that your home can't be a ministry to others. Your home can't host other people properly if it doesn't first do that for you and for your family that lives there. And so I like that we're like having to kind of get back to that and be like, wait a second, my home's not functioning well for, we don't have enough seats at our table for everyone. Or we've been using this broken sofa. Like this is uncomfortable. Actually living in our home and spending this much time is helping us see maybe some things that we've ignored and need to um, pay attention to or some ways that it's not serving us as well. Um, And it's such a great time to experiment like, oh, Maybe we should move the patio furniture in the house or let's just hang the hammock in the living room for fun or let's move that mattress, you know, so all three kids can sleep in the bedroom together. Whatever it is, I like this time that we're kind of seeing our home with fresh eyes. I love that, too. And it has been really interesting to ask myself those stronger questions about the true functionality of our home, because I've worked from home for quite a while. I've done a pretty good job of accommodating myself and what I needed in terms of being able to do that. But then when everybody came home and all we had five of us at the height of lockdown, all working from our house and four doing school. So it was the needs on this house and we're rough on a house in general, but the needs on (laughs) this house were very different. And I began to realize, huh, I've done some customization that's worked for my flow, but not necessarily for the majority. And so we did the whole shuffle you're talking about. I mean, we flipped over a whole lot of things. And the other thing I began to realize is when you do welcome a larger number of people into your house, my tolerance for clutter uh, dramatically dropped. I the, the amount of stuff when you are having more people definitely stands out to me in a way that's pretty unique. Did you guys end up having people come home back to your house? Because I know you've had kids in college and all the things. And what was that transition like? Yes, we, you know, kids that you thought were gone and only maybe coming home for a couple weeks in the summer are suddenly for six months. Yes, exactly. Uh, So yeah, we turned the basement family room into a bedroom. And you know, thinking about showers and thinking about a lot of what you said was, you know, the clutter and how everyone else in the family can can deal with it, but it affects me. And so one of the things I do is just designate some empty spaces and like no or empty surfaces. So I know that I, as much as I love pretty decor, the pretty decor can go on the mantle, pretty can, decor goes on my dresser or it may be in my office, but it's not going to go on the kitchen island. It's not going to go on the breakfast table. It's not going to go on the coffee table. Those are just designated empty surfaces so that we can use them like all day long to stack the books, to stack the groceries, to fold the laundry. Like they're getting used a lot. But then, you know, when we put the laundry away, it's 
it's like this quiet zone ready to serve our family. And that has been such a help to me to have these zones that don't have anything on them so that we can like really, really use them. That's a great secret, Mike Willen, because I typically, again, going back to the things that I think I'm supposed to do when it comes to home decor, you're right. Functionally, I keep putting up these displays on the kitchen island and on the main (laughs) kitchen table and on the coffee table. And you're right. Those need to be functional services. I need to give that up. I don't know. Why am I doing that? <laughs> I know. I do too. And then I'm moving them all day long. Well, let me move the candle over here and let me put the vase over here. And so I, you know, I make sure and we, I think there's nothing more beautiful than a big empty island. And then right. we have, it doesn't look empty in my kitchen. I've got display shelves. I've got a hutch over to the side that has beautiful things on it. I have my mantle you can see from the breakfast area. Those things that are kind of out of reach, I'm not going to put a coffee cup on the mantle. That's where I really focus my decor is like surfaces that aren't getting everyday use. So they're still pretty. We still have art on the walls. But oh, to have that breathing room is just life changing. I think you've just solved the mystery about why I do end up with used coffee cups on my mantle. Because... (laughs) Where they should go, I've been covering in decor. So, okay. Yes. I'm going to be reformed. And then what happens is when you have a coffee table and just has a coffee cup on it, that coffee cup offender will be like, oh, I guess I should put my coffee cup away because it's the only thing on there. Nice. Somehow it magically helps people keep surfaces clean. It's oh, crazy. Man, we are going into full nester reform over here. You just wait till I bust <laughs> out of this interview. There is some stuff that's going to get cleared. What are some other secrets that you found when it comes to creating this welcome home environment, whether that is for seasonal, going into holidays, that kind of thing, or things you've discovered functionally? What are some of those secrets in transitioning between seasons? Because, you know, one thing that I'm doing, Michael, and that I, in some ways, I laughed at myself initially, but in some ways it feels more even more important now, is even though it is just us at the house, I don't want to miss this year, right? I don't want to just jettison this year. And so I find myself being more intentional with this seasonal change because I think we all need it. We need to know that we are pacing through this year when because <laughs> yeah. so many things are shut down, it can feel pretty monotonous yeah. sometimes. So how what are some of the secrets in transitioning between those seasons and really, again, not trying to make it all of this crazy thematic, you know, commercial kind of decor, but at the same time celebrating a new season? Well, when I think now, as I approach the seasons as a cozy minimalist, I actively choose to not be not focus on all things that are consumer driven. So not like, okay, it's going to be fall soon, I'm going to go to Hobby Lobby and buy store bought decor. There's nothing wrong with store bought decor. But store bought decor makes me have to store things makes me have to buy things relies 100% on only the visual to add things to my house. So it's going to fill up space. And so I do have some store bought decor for every season. But instead of thinking of like a consumer, I try to think like a creator try to think about how God is creating the seasons and how those seasons are changing perennially perennially perennially, slowly over time. And that gives me a lot of grace to not feel like, oh, this is a Saturday, I've got to change everything out. And then also pay attention to how we experience the real seasons in our everyday life. It's through what we see outside. It's through what we hear. It's what we smell, what we taste, what we feel. And so all of those things, experiencing the seasons through our five senses, and then applying that to our home can change everything. And it takes the pressure off our visual decor. And so to know that I can add seasonal cozy layers uh, for winter, 
I can burn a candle that smells like winter to me, whether that's the evergreen candle or, you know, vanilla or having some diffuser that smells wintry. I'll start doing that the day after Thanksgiving. Um, I will add a layer of things that feel wintry, heavier fabrics, maybe a thicker rug on the floor, switching out my pillow covers, putting the flannel sheets on the bed. So I'm thinking through these seasonal supplies that help my home feel like the season, acknowledge that it's not summer outside anymore. It's now winter. Uh, have a playlist. I have a playlist for every season. So I I'll play that. just about over. to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah. So sound and how do you have a way? Do you have speakers in your home? And so I think we can get so caught up in having like, oh, I have a wreath for my door for every month of the year. But do you have a way to play your playlist? Do you have a bread knife so that you can cut the bread that you made in the fall? Do you have like taste is such a big thing that I think we forget about? Mm -hmm. I can count towards your seasonal uh, supplies. And so thinking about catering to taste, and a lot of us cook seasonally anyway, but to really let that count towards the seasons, to set up a little cider bar for your kids and to have that going. I, I mean, think about when your kids come home from school or, or maybe out from in from outside, if you had cider going on the stove or a cider bar set up, if you had a candle going, if you had your winter playlist going, if you had some cozy throws and a movie on, they would come in and say, oh, it feels so wintry in here. You don't have to have the Christmas tree up. You don't have to have stocking. You don't have to have anything visual because the, our sense of smell, our sense of taste, the touch, what we hear, those all play an important role too. And then, of course, we're going to add the visual. But I found that if I focus on creating the seasonal home first and relying on those seasonal supplies, a lot of which can be consumable. So I get to going to buy them anyway, we use them up, I don't have to store them. Then I'm, um, I'm like halfway there for decorating for whatever holidays are within that season, whether it's 4th of July or Easter or Christmas, of course. So I don't decorate for the Christmas season. I decorate for winter mm. and winterize my home. We have sparkle, we have um, candles, we have fur throws we have a musical soundtrack that sounds wintry and then during Christmas I play Christmas music but then after Christmas I'm back to my winter soundtrack and so that way my home is winterized for the entire season of winter I have my firewood set up pretty next to the the fireplace so all of those things it's totally changed how I decorate my home and the amount of stuff that I have to pack away, whether it's fall or summer or whatever, it is such a fun way to kind of rethink seasonalizing your home. From your work within a community of women, what do you find are some of the biggest thresholds for people that they struggle to cross when it comes into wanting their home to feel a certain way, when it comes to this place of being intentional about home? What do you find are some of the biggest hiccups? Because I know women want to achieve this, you know, they want to live this way. And yet I know people who feel kind of defeated before they even start. So what are the things that yeah. we need to work on overcoming? It's you would think it's money, it's not money, it's not creativity, it's not time. It's taking a risk. It's mm -hmm. taking that first risk, whether that means allowing yourself to uh, paint that piece of furniture that you bought for $5 that if you ruin, you can just take back to the Goodwill. Or if it means making the nail hole and hanging that mirror for the first time or painting the wall, that color that you've been wondering about, it is always taking that first risk. And what a beautiful place. Home is the safest place on earth to take that risk. And I just highly encourage, me included, that it's 
it's always worth it. You always learn something. Even if you don't end up liking it, it is so worth it to take a risk. What has been the biggest surprise to you in your career arc now? Because, you know, a lot of us started out, we were blogging just for fun. You know, we were just putting some stuff out there and trying some stuff. And and like you said, calling yourself the nester to try to avoid confusion about your name. I had all my kids numbered. They were one of eight, two of eight, three <laughs> of eight. I didn't want anybody to know their names. My my name was Octomom before Octomom came and hijacked my name. You know, no. so we were back in the day, there was not, I wasn't really looking at all this online space and publishing space right. as, as kind of a thing. I was sort of online scrapbooking and, and developing a community of friends. So looking back now, what are some things that really surprise you in the ride that you've gotten to have in speaking into this space and in having this beautiful community around you? It just has made the world smaller. And I am so grateful for the online community that we, my husband and I host a like little festival at our house every year. We have a thousand people here and each person is absolutely wonderful. Like I can't they're not killers. Like I just thought the internet was full of creepy people and it's full of wonderful people. And it's been such a gift to, to get to know people this way. I mean, you and I met this way. I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I am amazed at how those connections are there. This whole digital pen pal experience has been really, really powerful to me as well. And to find out, and I think this is part of what you've done so well within your community, to discover that you're not alone on things that you thought were quirks or things that you are scared to try or you know the, the perfections we sometimes think that we have to bring to our homes instead of letting it be a place of trying and attempting things and letting our kids see that it's okay to try something creatively and quote unquote fail that we learned from it. I love the phrase that you used a little bit earlier where you said you wanted to move from being a consumer to being a creator. And I think that is just a gorgeous phrase to help explain the difference in what you're trying to do, what you're trying to extend to people and the beauty of what your life that we get the privilege of watching play out in your social media posts and pictures and your books that we get to see. I'm so excited for you on this new book. Welcome home. It's going to be just amazing. Michael and Smith just adore you. Thanks so much for your time today. Love you, girl. Love you too. Be sure and check out the show notes that our content coordinator, Rebecca, puts together each and every week. A big shout out to Donna. She is our producer and helps make sure that the audio quality and all the things are the way they need to be so that you can get the episodes. I would love to ask you a big favor. Would you do this for me? Would you go and subscribe and like the podcast wherever you get your podcast? It really does help get the word out. And if you leave us a five-star rating and a really sweet review, you might just get to hear your review read online here on the podcast. I would love to connect with you on all places social. You can find me Julie Lyles Carr. I particularly love Instagram. So come see me over there. And while you're on the webs, be sure and check out allmomdoes.com, which is our blog and website. It's an incredible resource for you. And of course, All Mom Does on the socials. And we also have the All Mom Does podcast discussion group where I check in and chat with you throughout the week about the episodes. So would love to see you there as well. I'll see you next time. I'm right here on the All Mom Does Podcast. Thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a minute to let you know that just like you and your family, Purposely is also part of a family, the Krista Family of Ministries. Krista helps kids and teens learn and grow in their faith at King Schools and Miracle Ranch Camp. And Krista shares Jesus with people in the poorest, most remote places through world concern. 
Krista Senior Living is a community of love and care, and Krista Media is a place of hope on the radio. God is changing lives through these five ministries, and Krista is on mission to share the good news of Jesus. To learn more, visit krista.org.